I'll hit the button one more time. It was my fault. Here we go. Now we're on. Ephesians chapter 5, and in just a minute, we'll look together at an important verse. Hey, a couple things. Firstly, um, for those of you who have uh, worked all day and then made the extra effort to uh, come, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's not a light thing at all, um, to, especially when there's a bunch of stuff going on or if you have sick kiddos or people aren't feeling real great, to make the effort, extra effort to come out. So I'm grateful that you're here. Not, I mean, I'm grateful for my sake because it's fun to preach to people, um, but I'm more, I'm more grateful just that you have a heart to receive what it is that God has for you this week. And I'm anticipating God honoring that even today night as we look together at a very important passage out of the scriptures. Um, this, this, is, this is one of those, uh, man, you've got to get this kind of passages. In our, in our family with my kiddos, I have a rule that anytime I'm addressing them, anytime I'm speaking to them or Brittany's speaking to them, they're supposed to look me directly in the eyes. So uh, this is something that obviously if you've had kiddos or you have children, then you know it doesn't come necessarily naturally. That is, especially if they're um, embarrassed about something or in trouble about something or they have something else on their mind, then getting them to look you in the eyes is something you have to train and work for. But sometimes there are important truths that I, there's important things that I want to make sure that they understand. So I want to make sure they're looking at me so that I know that they have it. So with my boys, it's always, hey, boys, look at my eyes. I want to see eyes. Look me right in the eyes. Even with with little Isaac right now, 20 months old, and uh, we're working on, hey, look at daddy's eyes when I'm talking to you. And he looks at me and he shakes his head yes. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But he's looking at me in the eyes. So with, with uh, several of my boys, that was pretty easy going to get, get their attention towards me. With one of my boys, I will not tell you which one it is, but it's the second line. With one of my boys, it was a little bit of a different struggle because my Sandman, especially when he was younger, it's changed some now, but he had the attention span of a goldfish which is to say anything and everything grabbed his attention whenever, whenever there was anything else going on or perhaps nothing in the actual world going on. There was something else going on in his brain. So I would say, hey, Samuel, look, come here, pal, look at me, look at me. And he'd look at me for a second and then he'd start looking around. I'd say, ah, no, look at daddy's eyes. I want to see your eyes. So he would come closer to me and he'd look at my eyes for about two seconds and then he'd start looking around. So I would reach out and I would grab his belly. I would grab just the, the small part of his belly and I would just squeeze a little bit. And he'd come up on his toes a little bit. I'd say, look at me in the eyes. So he'd look real close at my eyes and very intensely and I'd start to talk and he'd start looking around. So I would twist a little bit and he would get, this is, now this hasn't happened for days, but when he was younger, <laughs> I would twist and Samuel would come nose to nose. Like his nose would be touching my nose. I would say, Samuel, look at me in the eyes. By this time, I've forgotten what it was that I was going to tell him. But now we're going to look at me in the eyes, nose to nose. And I would start talking and his eyes would start darting back and forth. And then at some point he just said, well, get, you know, go, go talk to your mother or something like that. No. So in our family, we have on occasion what we call belly twisting truth, which is to say, this is one of those things where if you're not paying attention to what I'm saying to you kiddos right now, this is worth a belly twist, so you better pay attention to what it is. Now, um, with this passage, this is one of those 
truths that I would call a belly-twisting truth. Now, for legal reasons, obviously, I'm not going to reach out and pinch anybody's belly. But this is one of those, this is important. Please don't miss this that we're about to go through. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look together at verse number 8, first of all. Verse number 8 of Ephesians 5 is a summarizing verse where the Apostle Paul basically reiterates what he has already spent the first four chapters of the book of Ephesians teaching. In fact, we looked at part of it in our um, afternoon service yesterday. When we looked, remember, we were at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, or 12 and 13, where we're talking about the gifts that Christ gave. All of it kind of leads up to what Paul summarizes here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. And it would be helpful if I would get to it. Um, instead of just having you to us. So Romans 1, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 5, verse number 8. Here's, here's what the Bible says. In summary, Paul says, For ye, speaking to the group he's writing to, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Now, this seems like a fairly straightforward verse because it is. It divides itself naturally into two parts. The first part, for you were sometimes darkness, now you're light in the Lord. And the second part is the admonition. This is the instruction Paul has given where he says, walk as children of light. Now, what I'd like to do tonight is I want to start by giving you a couple of words that are not found in this passage, but they are Bible words and they're good words for you to understand. And I'm going to give them to you because while those words are not found in this verse, The truths of these words are found in this verse. And I think it will also help you in reading other passages and in hearing other people preach. I think it will help help connect dots for you. So, two words. They sound similar, mean something different. First word is the word justify or justification. I don't know what your normal habit is, but I like to oftentimes invite a little bit of back and forth when I'm speaking. That is, I invite people to answer questions quite a bit, and that's just for the purpose of knowing that things are making sense. So please, when I invite, please feel free to speak up. And if you give an answer that's not right or is different than what I would give, then it's not, that's not a problem. We can talk through things, um, but, I, but I do want to make sure we're getting it. This, our coming together, our gathering together and having a service is of no value if you don't walk out of here understanding the passage in such a way so that in five years when you read it, Again, if, if, if you in five years read this and have no better understanding of it than what you currently do, unless your understanding of it is perfect, then, then this would be a waste of time. I want you to be able to leave and know what the Bible says. So please stay engaged in what it is that's going on here. Okay, two words. First word is the word justification or justify. Does anybody happen to know what the word justify or justification means if you were defining it? Any ideas? Okay, I've heard it. How many of you have ever heard the the phrase, just as if I'd never sinned with the word justified? You've heard that before? Okay, so that that phrase is actually more of a description than a definition. Um, It's not incorrect. It's it's just not quite a definition, but it's a good phrase to think through biblically what justified mean. Anybody else? Any ideas? Yes, sir. Um, did for us, or the position we have 
Yeah, okay. So he's saying our position in Christ is that of justified. And that is certainly true, which is what we'll get to in just a moment. So let me give you the definition of the word justification or justified. And this will, I mean, if you're in tune with God at all, with the Lord, then this, this will bless your heart. So the word justified or justification means to be declared righteous. That's what it means. To be declared righteous. I had, when I was explaining justification one time in a group like this, there was a 9, 10, 11 year old kiddo that was very willing to have conversation with me while I was speaking. And so I asked, hey, what does justify or justification mean? And this young person said, um, to say why you were right. I thought about what, at first I was, I was taken back by what he was saying. And then I was like, oh, yeah, for a kid, this makes perfect sense. That is, if you as a child got caught doing something and your parents got on to you, and then to your mom and dad, mom or dad, you said, well, the reason why I was doing it was what you're doing is you are trying to justify yourself in the eyes of your parents, right? Okay, so that's what justification is, or justified means to be declared righteous. Now, the difference between what that 11-year-old said and what the Bible means when it talks about justification or to justify is that in the case of biblical justification, it is when God declares me to be righteous. Now, here's the thing about justification. Justification happens the moment a person accepts Jesus Christ as Savior. They pass, Brother John, from death unto life. The position is changed. So it goes from what you were before Christ to what you are now in Christ, and you have been declared by God in that moment, the moment you trust Christ as Savior, you are declared by God to be righteous. It is done and done, you become a child of God. Now, let me ask you a question. If you are declared by God to be righteous, whose righteousness is it? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God imputes. He puts on our account. He gives to us the righteousness of Christ. It's as if the righteousness of Christ as a robe covers me so that when God looks at me, he does not see me as a sinner positionally before him. He sees me through the righteousness of Christ, which has been put to my account. It's not my righteousness that has worked, has been added up and added up and added up so that now I stand before God and I'm righteous because of the good works that I have done. Nope, not at all. Justification, listen, is an act of God on my behalf. When I receive Jesus Christ as Savior, the blood of Christ washes away my sin. The righteousness of Christ is given to me. I am God's child. I am made, here's a Bible word, meet. That is, I have met the standard now to enter God's presence, not by righteous works that I have done, but according to his mercy, I have been saved. And God has given me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
What a blessed thing justification is. So, first word, justification or justified means to be declared righteous. Now look, I don't mean to treat you like kiddos, um, but repetition is the key to learning. Do you mind just saying it with me just so I know that we're connecting on this so I don't have to pinch my kid's belly in order to uh, make sure that everybody's paying attention? Okay, here we go. Justification means to be declared righteous. Let's try it again. Justification means to be declared righteous. Again, this is, this is the work of God. It's done and done. When I trust Christ as Savior, God gives me the righteousness of Christ. It happens the moment I accept Christ as Savior. Okay, second word. Sounds similar, means something different, is the word, not justification, but sanctification. Sanctification. Now, sanctification and justification are different. Two different words, though they sound similar, two different words. Sanctification is the process where I, as a justified person, begin to live out what I am as a justified person. Now, the word sanctify or sanctification means to be set apart. That is, to be set apart to a new purpose. So sanctification is this process. Justification happens the moment I trust Christ as Savior. God gives to me the righteousness of Christ. It's done. I've changed positions. But now, sanctification is this process where over time, I begin to live out what I am as a justified person. Okay, time out, class. What am I as a justified person? What have I been declared to be? And whose righteousness is it? Okay, so that with Christ's righteousness, now in this process of sanctification, over time, I begin to live out what I am as a justified person, which is righteous, more specifically, Christ's level of righteousness, so that sanctification is me becoming more and more like the one whose righteousness I received at justification. It's me becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Okay, time out. couple important things. Number one, justification and sanctification are two different things. You can't exchange one for the other. In other words, I don't become more and more and more like Jesus to the point where God says, ah, that's good enough. I will go ahead and declare you to be righteous. No, it doesn't work that way. Justification is its own moment. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is given by God and it happens the moment I trust Christ. And sanctification afterward is this process of me becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So justification and sanctification are different. Number two, okay, now you've got to hear me all the way through this statement, all right? While justification and sanctification are different, they cannot be separated. That is, it's not biblical to have the mindset or to say all that really matters is that a person get justified. 
It does not matter whether or not they are sanctified. All that matters is justification. When you do that, you step outside of everything that the Bible teaches. Because consistently in the Scripture, when you see justification or the concept of justification mentioned, it is right in connection, in line with this matter of sanctification also taking place. In fact, the Bible says that it has been predestined, predetermined, that those who have been justified are going to be sanctified. It has been God's plan since the beginning for you who have been declared righteous by God, you've been justified, that part of that justification is in purpose for this becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now the problem comes when somebody looks at someone's life and says, well, they're not as sanctified as I think they ought to be, therefore they can't be justified. Not my call. Not yours. That matter of justification is between them and God. But it is always God's intention his plan, his design, and his desire that those who are justified, that they will be sanctified. In fact, in different passages, it's put to believers, um, forgive the uh, simplicity of this, but it's put to believers as a, duh. Think Romans 6. Have you, ever, have you ever read Romans 6 where the Bible says, uh, I think it starts off, what know you not that your body is the temple of God? No, no, no. What know you not that, uh, how does it start, babe? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. That's in there somewhere. I just can't remember. People, you're supposed to know this. Help a brother out. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may bound? There it is. Thank you. Okay. So in this passage um, where he's talking about, are we supposed to continue in sin after, after justification? Are we supposed to continue in sin that this grace may abound? No, God forbid. No, no, no. And again, I say no. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And he goes and he lays out, Paul does, um, how sin, sin is the the problem. It always has been. It's the reason why we needed justification. It's the reason why we need sanctification. At the end of Romans chapter 6, when he gets into the verse that in, in uh, verse number 23 where he says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life he's actually speaking in reference to those who have already trusted Christ as Savior and he says to people hey, why do you want to continue in sin? What fruit had you in those things wherein you used to live. What fruit had you in, in, in sin? What, what was the end? What was the end of sin? Well, the wages of sin is death. So why would you want that? In other words, it's, it, it's a matter of, no, no. Not only are we justified, but the plan of God is justification it leads to this becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That is the plan of God. And let me say this as an overarching thing, and then I'm going to, I'm going to show you why this is so valuable, or rather how it applies to our life specifically, and then our, our time will be finished. But, but, but catch this, please. The whole attitude of, of the Bible which is God's word, right? And so we know it's true. 
the whole attitude of the Bible is not that of defeat, but that of victory. Sadly, I think a lot of times we believers look at this matter of sanctification. You hear me say, become more and more like Jesus Christ, and we go, oh. I mean, sure, that'd be, that'd be great, but oh. Justification is great because God does it and it's done and done, but this Sounds like a lot of effort that if my experience means anything at all, it means I'm going to fail and fail and fail. And I know a just man falls down seven times and rises again, but it's fail and fail and fail and fail. Okay, let me tell you something. That is not the attitude of Scripture at all. The attitude of Scripture is that of victory. And furthermore, I mean, honestly, think about it. This is not, this is not, this passage we're gonna, I'm going to show you these two words in here in just a minute. This passage and the truths of justification and sanctification are not a weight put on your shoulders. This isn't like a, oh, you were happy about justification? <laughs> Try some sanctification on for size. <laughs> you, thought just, you thought salvation, you thought Christianity was great? Just try this, pal. It's not that at all. Think, think about it for a second. Honestly, think about it. Wouldn't you like it if the people that surrounded you, the people that surround you at home, at work, at church, wherever, wouldn't you like it if they were just like Jesus? If you're married, would it be nice if your spouse was just like Jesus Christ? Parents, would it be nice to have kiddos that were... <laughs> just like Jesus? Or children, would you like to have parents that were just like Christ? The point is, this is not meant to be a weight on your shoulders, a burden to bear. The intention of God here for you is, look at what this is about. Look at my plan for you. Not only do I save you from your sin and give you the righteousness of Christ, but my plan for you is for you in your life to be just like my son. I've got to tell you, in my family, that would solve a lot of problems. If my wife were more like Jesus, I'm telling you, <laughs> life would go a lot easier. If my kids were like Christ, oh man, how nice would that be? And this is God's plan. All right, now, let me, let me show you why that's so important with this. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. And I'm going to read you um, this verse that we already looked at. I'm going to read it to you again. And partway through, I'm going to stop 
And I want you to tell me if the part I read has to do with the justification or sanctification. Because the two words, while they're not in here, the truths of them are. And I want you, I want you to make the connection between the two, all right? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8 says this, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Okay, class, is that justification or sanctification? Okay, you were darkness, now you're light. You used in the dark. You didn't get it. Um, you weren't connected to the light of the world. You didn't understand that your sin brought death. You didn't understand the goodness or righteousness or perfection or deity of Jesus Christ. You didn't, that didn't make sense. Grace, you were in the dark about all of that. But now, it, it came to light. The Holy Spirit showed you. The Scripture spoke to you. And you trusted Christ. Now you're light in the Lord. Justification. And then, the last part of the verse says, walk as children of light. Is that justification or sanctification? sanctification? There's only one left, so you have to get it right. Sanctification, walk as children of light. Now, real quickly, um, uh, when the Bible says walk as children of light, the word walk, uh, this is, well, in today's terminology, in today's society, people oftentimes say, I am really um, either struggling or enjoying this journey we call life. Why do they say that? Well, because there's a sense in which life is a journey. And a journey is taken one step at a time. The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step or one step. And the idea is just every step you just walk and you're just living life. And your life is made up of the choices that you make. So when the Bible talks about walking as children of light, it's in reference to the way that you live every day. Not, this is not a matter of church life. This is a matter of life, life, walking living. This is going to work. This is coming home. This is what you do at home. This is um, entertainment. This is uh, food choices. This is life. This is interaction with neighbors. This is how I drive and how I speak to the people that don't know how to drive on the same road that I happen to be on. This is life and living. And here, the Bible says, walk as children of light. Okay, time out. Sanctification, walking as a child of light, means I'm walking, I'm walking in light of the righteousness that I received at justification. That is, I'm living like Jesus Christ. Now, I told you earlier at the very beginning that Ephesians 5.8 is a summarizing verse. And here's, here's what I mean by that. And here's why that matters. Because Paul, up to this point in this letter that he writes to this church at Ephesus, which is very applicable to us today, is this. He begins the letter by saying, in essence, let me explain to you about this justification in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of where you're placing your faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Anybody know it without looking? For by grace? Okay, so is that justification or sanctification? Okay, so he's just, he starts off the letter talking about this. By grace are you saved. By grace are you saved. It's a gift of God. It's the work of God. This, this is what he's saying. So, 
For by grace are you saved. And he's talking about justification, justification. You get into chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the letter, and he begins to then explain what kind of difference this justification should make in your life after you have been justified. Because you've been given the righteousness of Christ, but we know it's God's plan. It's predestined that you'll be conformed to the image of his dear son. So this is the plan of God. So then how does that plan come about? And here's, oh, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the money spot for this truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22, 23, and 24, the Apostle Paul takes a moment and just clearly explains about sanctification, how it happens, and what it looks like. He gives us in three verses the entire process of sanctification, of becoming like what we are with our righteousness in Christ. This, this period of time, this, this linear living, this, this going forward, this moving forward, what this looks like. And he gives it to us in three verses. Each verse contains a truth. Each, one, each verse, one truth, and all three verses work together. All three truths work together. Look at verse number 22, if you would, please. Here, he says, in explaining this matter of sanctification, in fact, in verse number 20, he says, but ye have not so learned Christ. So he's saying, let me teach you something. Verse 22, he says, that ye who have been justified, that ye put off... Concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Okay, so if you were writing my uh, sermon for me, and you were going to give me my first point in this process of sanctification from this verse, directly from this verse, and using two words, what would you say that the first step in the process of sanctification is? You see it? Verse number 22? Let's read it again. Verse 22 says that ye <coughs> put off concerning the former conversation. Okay, so give me the two words you'd give me. Thank you very much. I'm so glad that uh, you're already on it. Um, and then verse number 23 says, and, oh, look at this, mm, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the second step is, very good. And then verse number 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So step number three would be, Okay, now this is very straightforward. Now, would, would you mind um, refocusing attention this way? Because I know about this time in a message, it's easy for my brain when somebody else is preaching, it's easy for my brain to wander, to go into neutral. So let me, let me reconnect with you just for a second. And let me just say to you that several things that I'm about to say, when you hear them, you're going to say, well... Yeah. I mean, yeah, duh. Yes, everybody, everybody knows that. Why, why are we spending a Monday night looking at this? Is this the best you could come up with? And for some of what I'm about to say, I already know that that's what's going to, if you have any wickedness in your mind, that's, that's what's going to be running back and forth in the wicked part of your brain. But let me also say, that there is also a part of this that if you are anything like me, 
that for many years of my Christian justified life in this process of sanctification, there's a part of this that I missed and it caused such frustration. It caused me to live in the keep going but just until the day that I get a new body because until that day defeat after defeat after defeat what a wicked world and what a wicked mind and what a wicked heart uh, man and then when I saw the truth that I'm about to share with you it was it was this spirit capital S, infused breath of fresh air that went, oh, oh, that's, that's what I was missing. Oh. So stay with me. This is belly twisting. All right. The first step in the process is put off. Verse 22. Put off concerning the former conversation. Help me. When the Bible says conversation, what does it mean? Yeah, manner of living, lifestyle. Not so much conversation like talking, but conversation means in the Bible lifestyle. So put off concerning the former conversation. The old man which is corrupt, spoiled, rotten, been in the back of the fridge for six weeks. The old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, those things that promise what they cannot give to you. That was what you, that's what you lived on before you came to Christ, before you came to light. You were living on empty promises. Be good enough, you'll get to heaven. Be religious, you'll get to heaven. Everybody's just living as long as they're living, then they die, they're dead. It's just the way life is. That's deceitful lusts that cause you to live after the flesh. So put off concerning the former lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then verse number 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse number 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've heard that word a bunch tonight. Whose righteousness? Okay, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Who is the only human being to ever be truly holy? It's the Lord Jesus. So, put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. Okay, let me tell you something. For a lot of years, here's the way I lived my Christian life. It was between verses 22 and 24. Look, I'm saved. You know what that means? Stop doing stuff that's bad. And I know about the, the vacuum principle. You've got to fill it now with something that's good. Hey, you're a child of God. Children of God don't live this way. You know what children of God do? They live just like Jesus Christ. They do things that are right. Children of God don't lie, steal, cheat, hate. 
Children of God do things that are right and good and love and tell the truth and all of these things. And for, for most of my Christian life, it was a matter of, okay, come on, Thompson. Come on, stop doing, stop it. You, you, you lied you lied again in that moment, not even thinking about it. You did it again just to protect yourself or to make yourself look better or just not to disagree. It was the first thing that came. You did it again. Stop it and start telling the truth. Come on. Aren't you a child of God? Then live like it. Start doing it. And if I went to camp, then for three weeks after, This is where I was. But I always ended up back over here. Anybody else ever feel that? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Romans 7, that which I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that I do. I find in myself this war And then I saw verse 23. And in verse number 23, in this process of sanctification, the Apostle Paul explains the significant, power-packed truth that is this. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, stop real quickly. When you hear the word, the word renewed, what do you think of? Give me some synonyms for the word renewed. Transformed. New? Transformed? Yeah. What else? Restore? Yeah, I like it. Anything else? Hey, what kind of meetings are we in? Revival? Revive meetings? Um, so revive. My, my favorite word that's a synonym to this, is the word renovate. It's what the word means to, renew means to renovate. So the Bible here says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, now listen to the significance of every word. In the spirit, in the spirit of your mind. So it's not just a matter of what you think, but the spirit of your mind. So it's what you want, not just what you think but the way that you think, the process of how you think, the depth of how and what you want and think. Okay, so here the Bible says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, now in order, in order to help us see why this is so important, let me ask you a question. This is a grammar question. So for all you guys and gals that are in school, you guys will have this right away. Us old people have to think through it a little bit. Here's the question. When the Bible says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, is that command... Is that active or passive? Now, don't answer quite yet. Active means um, I do it. Passive means it's done to me. Listen to the verse. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Is that active or passive? What think ye? <laughs> okay, how many vote active? How many vote passive? How many refuse to vote? Okay. <laughs> Just in case it's a trick question. 
Uh, I will tell you, I've, I've used, I've asked this question a lot of times, and pastors almost never vote. They're like, I'm not putting my hand up in front of people, just in case. Okay, now I'm talking grammatically, but grammatically this is important, okay? It's actually passive. Now here's the reason why we say it's active, in part because I set you up. I said, and be renewed, and I made it seem, because it is imperative, it is a command, but the words are, be renewed. It doesn't say, and renew yourself. Renew the spirit of your mind. Not what it says. It's be renewed. Which means it's a force outside of myself that does this. Okay. This, <laughs> this is the, uh, this is the engine, this is the dynamite that allows this process of sanctification to work so that you can be exactly what God intends you to be. And that is this. While it is true that it is my responsibility to put off concerning the form of conversation and also to put on the new man, in the midst of this is the promise of an almighty God that if we'll allow him to, if we'll surrender, then he, by his spirit, will renovate, will change, will renew the very spirit of our minds. The way that we think. Not only what we think, but listen to me, the very desires that I have so that I will begin to want what Jesus Christ would want. And I will start to have to go against my desires in order to step back over here in the darkness. Because my insides, the way I think, would be renovated. Now, I have at many times in my life wished that I could have the Lord Jesus Christ standing beside me who would tap me on my shoulder as soon as I started to do something that was wrong. But this is even greater than that. In fact, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples. It's expedient for you. It's better for you that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter. And when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you about me. He will enable you. He will empower you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Okay, now I will say that the Holy Spirit has a tool that He uses in order to help renovate the way that we think. And I'm just curious if anybody has any idea what the tool is that the Holy Spirit of God may use in order to renovate the way that we think. Does anybody know what tool He uses in order to help our minds and desires to change? You guys are brilliant. I don't even know why I'm taking time to say it. You already know everything. Okay, the, the point is, is the Holy Spirit does use us. So this isn't, this isn't a matter of you get saved and then the really lucky ones, the really saved ones, God just comes down and pizzazzes and they never want to do bad again. They only want to do, they want to do right. Nope, not that. 
No, this is the process. As I'm putting off, I'm inviting, I'm asking, I'm allowing the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to renovate, to renovate what I want. Here's how this changed me. Is that in the midst of a temptation, after I said, no, I'm not going to, before I just said, I'm going to start doing right, was this breath of prayer, Spirit of God, would you please renovate, would you please change my heart to feel like, to think like, to desire what Christ would want? Parents, when I feel, when I feel the rising of frustration about to turn to anger, out of place anger with my children, where it's about to come out in temper form, and I sense that, and I have that moment of, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, and it's usually just a moment. I shouldn't. In that moment, if I will, by faith, ask and receive from the Holy Spirit that renovation, Holy Spirit of God, please, would you please change me, help my heart to, to think like, to desire like the Lord Jesus Christ. That changes everything. That moment when I have something on entertainment that is not pleasing to God, but it's interesting, and I have that moment of, I shouldn't, but I want to. In that moment when I realize what it is, that it's darkness, not light, if I will say, Holy Spirit of God, cause me to want what Christ would want, please. You said setting a wicked thing before your eyes. I know that this is the heart of Christ. Please. And the Lord God does a work in us to bring us to be more and more, not just outward conforming, but inward transformation to want what Christ wants. Now, we don't have time tonight because I've taken too long in the explanation. But sometime soon, you need to read the rest of the chapter because verse 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, I think it goes to verse 31, 32. Okay, all the way through there are specific examples of what this looks like. Like, don't lie, tell the truth. But in the midst, it also shows what the heart of Christ is. In other words, it talks about the renovation of the mind. Don't steal, work. And then it shows what the heart of Christ is, what, what the Holy Spirit is trying to work in us. It says, uh, don't tear down, build up with your speech. But then it tells what the heart of Christ is. And it will show you and teach you what it is. Now listen, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to put in you as far as this is what your desire is going to become. And when you know what the Holy Spirit is working at, and you come into this going, whatever you want, please renovate me, then we know it's the will of God. And if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if, we, if he hears us, then we know that we have whatever it is that we ask.
So at this point, brothers and sisters, it's just a matter of faith. Will you believe God that you can actually have your ver the very spirit of your mind renovated to be like Christ? Not just actions, but the very desires of your heart. <laughs> Boy, I'd sure like to come and preach at a church where everybody was just like Jesus Christ. And I don't mean just to my face. I mean on the insides. And I bet you'd like to have an evangelist come who was just like Jesus Christ. It'd be nice to have a pastor just like Jesus. And it'd be nice to pastor people that were just like Jesus. And if God promised it and it's His plan and it's His purpose, then the only thing that can stop it is a heart of unbelief. Somebody that says, no, or I don't think it can happen. But God's done everything that's necessary. You have responsibility, put off, put on. But in the midst of all that, God says, I'll do the work that you can't do. Father,